I think I recorded. Yeah, there we are. Um, here we are, podcast number Chinque. Chinque. I love it. In Chinese. <laughs> we have an audience all across the universe. We have people here that will find this, I don't know, 10 years from now. We have people on the flip side who come and join us. I brought a little picture of Luana today. Peeking in here. Hi, Luana. What are you doing? Peeking. I love that. That's our moderator on the flip side. All right. Very good. Um, I think that there's a lot of people that are having so this is what i found for myself you didn't even ask me a question but i'm just explaining oh you're stealing them out of my head i know you go ahead <laughs> so how you know they say you know enjoy the free time that you have or whatever that is i find myself more busy but i've also realized that we are left alone not with our own devices we've been left alone with our own devices forever whether we were outside or inside right <laughs> right but our minds, if we can really cultivate this time to get in touch with our higher self or get in touch with our, our purpose or whatever that looks like, because right now everybody's being brought down no matter what race, you know, gen, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have. It, there's a lot of thinking that's going on that could either be destructive thinking of feeling like you need something or you don't have something, like toilet paper. Toilet <laughs> paper. Um, or you can watch, you can, you know, if you really want, well, you can watch TV and get really super happy, not, um, well, it depends if you're a Netflix freak, you know, then you can really just disappear into a series. Netflix. I'm done from Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and people, you know, to tune into something like this, to talk about the journey, to talk about. Right. How we, that life goes on. Let's just allow that for a second. And we heard that so eloquently from Harry Dean Stanton when we talked to him, I don't know, about a week after he passed away. And he said, you know, he spent his whole life arguing. He was an atheist and a skeptic. And yeah. he said, just tell people to believe in the possibility that life goes on. And then they won't waste any of their life arguing about it. So that following that idea, allowing that it's possible that even our close ones who may pass away within the construct of this quarantine or, you know, mm -hmm. people dying. Um, the idea that it's possible that they still exist and that there are methods to access them. And this is one, me and you chit-chatting, flip-siding. Yeah. There's many others. There's meditation. Mm -hmm. There's going into your own thoughts. There's allowing that that weird dream you had last night might actually have some content, you know, that or new information from your loved one on the other side. You, it's about allowing. So, you know, we're one of many methods of hacking the afterlife. Right, right. You can do so. it. So it's almost like, and that's tricky too, because my daughter loves fictional books. Mm -hmm. But she's like, Mom, I know in order for my mind to grow, and, and she is a, ver like, she reads everything. She always has. That's been her go-to. And like I said, I've taken away her library card when she did something wrong. She's like, really? She's six, you know, 15 years old. <laughs> oh, that's unique. I like that. 
senior library card. She goes, I'll just get a new one. I'm like, I'm going to put it like a <laughs> library, you know, privileged problems to have with such a great, she's such a great girl. And, and so when <laughs> there was a point to this, when we discuss about how we spend our time or how, what we're doing and the fictional versus non-fictional, would you consider us being non-fictional? <laughs> Some people, it could be fictional. Right, fiction, is this fiction? And then we could argue, is life fiction? You know, is the whole performance here fiction? Right, so I told him, we'll just spend some of your time reading, you know, like there's a great book that's out that a girlfriend gave to me and that I absolutely love. It's called Untamed. Love it. And, you know, you have your book. I've been reading that. Like there's so many different ways to go into watching Netflix and then, you know, separating your time to that. Well, I didn't know and along right. those lines, I was looking at um, the Flipside book, who's the third one, but it's, it's a Wonderful Afterlife Part 2. I just happened to be looking at it this morning. And in, within that is an interview with David Bennett, a fellow who had a near-death experience. He was like on a ship and he fell overboard and drowned. He was underwater for 12 minutes. And I interviewed him some years ago, and that became a chapter in the book. And I was rereading it today. And when you reread stuff like that, because it's outside of time, this is a guy who, during his near-death experience, which has been studied by the University of Virginia scientists quite a bit, right. he experienced not only seeing um, experiences, you know, like a life review, things that he had done in his lifetime that were good and bad, he also experienced seeing into the future, like a cancer uh, sentence that he got but he was going to survive so when it happened to him some point later on and this intern wow. came in to say you only got six months to live he'd never met the intern before but recognized him from the near-death experience and said oh no 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 we're going to do the treatment because i survived this and the intern was saying no you have to get your affairs in order and he he already seen it so it's this kind of weird thing of once you're able to access information like this, that life goes on, that you can pick up a book and read a story that connects to your heart, once you sort of see that, then it allows you to have a little bit of a different point of view of the planet, of how we're going to navigate the planet. Yeah, so. it allows you more compassion. Yeah. It allows you more compassion. And let's just, let's just say that he was full of crap. Like he just made this up and he said, it's the placebo effect, right? His will said, oh, no, no, we're going to get through it. Was it his will that got him through it? Or was it that knowing that, or that he had it? seen it? Yeah. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Your body, I'm just being the devil. Your body reacts to the way that you think. Yeah. So you have that knowledge up front that you're going to be okay. I feel like we all do this whether it's a child, whether it's a friend or parent or client, um, you know, we, we, set, we tend to say, you know what, I think I'm feeling this. Just fill into it. If you don't have, if you, you don't have to have a life, an NDE to fill into something later on. True. But it also allows us to see that, you know, here's a guy who anyone can relate to, regular fella, and he had this experience and he saw that life goes on. So not only did he realize that cancer was going to take him, but you can't be taken. No. It goes on, you see? Yeah. So there's that as well. So 
his whole life changed. You know, he was able to, he became like a life coach and stuff. David Bennett, the book's called Voyage of Purpose. Highly recommended. Anyway, so we have a class, we have a group on the flip side that are standing by while you and I chit chat and they're filing their nails. <laughs> waiting for us to stop talking so that I, they can talk. Right, okay, you can't move around that much because I can hear a little bit back, uh, just a couple, like a little, I want, never mind. I would rather have you move around than not move around. Okay, Go in you're getting uh, noise. Artifact, oh, noise, okay. Not noise, not noise, that's wrong. But occasionally, occasionally you'll go out and then come back in. Oh, okay, yeah, it could because where I'm broadcasting from, which is a dark cellar in beneath the earth. <laughs> Um, all right, let's turn our class over to Luana for a second. Lou, we appreciate you uh, helping us out here. Who wants to come? And I, had, I thought of a couple of people today, but I really wanted to leave it up to her because, you know. She said she loved the picture. That's what I wanted to tell you. Okay, it's cute. Yeah, I know you, okay, in the beginning he said he brought a picture of Luana. Okay. Yeah. Just so you guys know that I didn't, I wasn't saying I was. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Our audience knows that we're kind of crazy and it's fun. And oh, did you? Hello. Did you bring a picture of Lou with you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm making fun of this word. Okay. Okay. Well, Lou, I invited a couple of people, but I realized that maybe you have somebody that you need us to talk to. Why? Can you think of me last time? I know, don't judge it. Okay, Prince. Prince. Okay. Prince. I know that's not who you thought about, but it has to do with something either maybe last Tuesday. Was there anything that dealt with Prince last Tuesday? <laughs> I'm sure there was. What does he want to say? That's the most important thing. Dude, you're here. You. It has to do with you. So you're coming up with a compilation of more music, he says. I should be. <laughs> okay. Well, well, he might be. You know, his uh, state keeps putting stuff out. And there might have been something that came out last Tuesday. But let's ask him, what does he want to express? What does he want to tell us? Hmm. I know, I saw that too. He's saying, and we've discussed this before, that's right. He's just reminding us that music has an infinite amount of capabilities just like words do. That to, heal. to heal and connect people. Right. So, out of your great oove, out of all the great tunes that you made, what would be one song that somebody could put on and listen to, put it in Jennifer's mind. What's a song that would be a great way to directly connect with you if somebody wanted to chat with Prince? What's interesting is he showed me Beyonce and brought me to a tune that I love. Um, it's something about angels. But um, I got my angel now. That's it's a song he he's showing me because I might not know the song that he's trying to tell me. Yeah. He showed me Beyonce with this song that is just a beautiful song. Um, 
It's something she sang that he wrote. I don't know if he wrote it or not. Right. Prince, we need you to focus on you. Don't focus on somebody else for a second. Give no, us. He's, it's his way of communicating with me because he's showing me something that has to do she with. She sang? Yeah, she sang. Hold on. And what's the title of that piece? I don't know. Can you give me like two seconds to like figure it out? <laughs> um, I don't know what song he has about angels or angel. Okay. Let's so, so, but while we're looking up Prince Angels, I know that an angel came to visit you when you were a young boy. Yes. You referring to that? Yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay, very good. So let's break this down. This is what, you know, this is how Jennifer and I work. So she says, Prince is put into, so when you say angel, what are you saying? Um, I got my angel now as part of this lyric that I love from Beyonce. So as far as the angel goes, which he confirmed that, yeah, an angel visited him. Um, maybe it's about visitations of an angel or maybe it's about. Maybe that. it's about that visitation. So the, the reason I mention it, and mm -hmm. let's ask him if this is correct. Are you referring to when you were a child, you had an illness and epilepsy and yep. an angel came to you and we asked, we talked to you before about this and you told us about this angel and how you're hanging out with her and you're friends with her and you still know her. But it, the idea being, if you're ill or you're worried about illness in some way, the same like having epilepsy or having a virus, you focus, you connect with your angels. Is that what you mean? Something like that? Yes. Okay. So okay. I felt compelled to bring my rosary and I'm not Catholic. I'm not anything, but I collect rosaries for some reason. You just showed this in my mind's eye about it. Okay. So or chanting or anything that whatever. Well, let's allow, let's allow for the Christians that might have tuned in by accident um, <laughs> that bring out your rosary. Yeah. And, Put your intent towards healing. Yes. What do you mean? Okay. Yeah, but, sir, musician, fella, you have an oeuvre of work. And sometimes you put on, just like you were saying, sometimes music heals the savage beast and the beasts that are within us. Out of your tunes, is there one? Or it brings, don't have, it brings back memories. So music is the memory cap. Right. But I want you to give us one of yours. And even if Jennifer doesn't know the name of the song, just give her a, a, the lyric. Just give her a couple of words. I'm sorry, you said angels come to me? Yeah. Angels come to me. Okay, let's just see. This is how, we, this is how I would do it after the session, right? Once I transcribe it. Uh, okay, wait a second. Wow. Wait, is that true? Uh, he... He wrote a song called, um, I think, oh, don't make me look at all your ads. And he writes something with 1979, 1979, I don't know. Okay, she gave her angels. Is that what he's asking? Is that what he's talking about? Yeah, that okay. is. Now, I've never heard of this song. She gave her angel. Look, I, as a, people know, I was a music critic for Variety. 
just so you guys know, this is just my little whiteboard. Okay, this is his song. I'll read you some of the lyrics. And this is what we do. This is what Jennifer and I do. Um, To see, uh, and, and now, it, oh, sorry, Prince. I'd like to turn your heart to a tale of sheer delight, a song of adulation, love, and fear. No one loved him better. No one better sacrificed. She gave her angels that summer night. Is that the song? Yeah, that is the song. Okay, so. If I can break this down, Mr. Prince Rogers Nelson, and that's from Universal Music Publishing Group, copyright. Um, he's saying, if you listen to this song, imagine an angel, give yourself over to the idea of an angel might be protecting you, and focus on that meditation, a healing meditation. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so cool. take lyrics from the song and make it as a meditation. Very good. Okay. I mean, that can't be more clear than that. Lou, thank you. That was very nice. Prince, we appreciate that. Um, There's something about 19, I don't know, summer, something with 1979. And 1979. Okay. Well, I mean, people can look that up. Prince, 19, it could have been when he wrote the song. It's possible. So. Prince, thank you. We appreciate that. Luana, I'm going to turn this back to you. You have the clipboard. You have the backstage passes. Let us know who is in line that needs to speak to us. Who is the second person you thought of, she said. she's asking? Who is the second? Well, I thought of two people. I know. Who is the second? Okay. Well, the first wasn't Prince. It was uh, somebody who... Okay. Um, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to leave it up to Luana. Okay. There are two people. One that... Jennifer has spoken to before, who, right. who seemed to pop into my head, and one to the somebody we've never talked to before, but he popped into my consciousness today. Somebody made a reference, and it made me remember somebody, a guy with a goatee that I met back in the 1960s, and I, it pop, he popped into my head. So which one? One's a male and one's a female. Lou, who do you want to bring forward? Was anything dealing with papas and mamas? <laughs> you mean the group mamas and papas? Yeah, sorry. Uh, let's think about that a second. Uh, no, but that's fine. But that's fine. That I'm not going to know this person. Well, the guy you won't know. The woman you will know. Not a musician. Not no. Not associated with music. But it's okay, Lou. Lou we're leaving it up to you. You've got the backstage pass thing. I'm not going to shove somebody aside. If you got somebody that needs to talk to us, just let us know. Okay, hold on. Okay, the woman I've talked to before, right? Correct. And Mama Cass, is that what you're thinking of from Mamas and the Papas? No. So this no. Amelia Earhart showed up. Oh, thank you. Okay, that was it. Thank you. Okay. Can I just? look at the camera and say, I did not tell her that I asked for Amelia Earhart to show up today. And that's how she did. I have this. I don't, I'm not looking okay. at it. Okay, Amelia, thank yeah. you very much. Um, it is funny how many people that we've talked to and she just, nope, right we've here. We've talked to a lot. We've talked to a lot. And, and she's a wonder, I mean, she's one of the she's that we've talked to that's very 
important. And she brought us together, ostensibly, because our first phone call was me trying to convince you not that I wasn't somebody you needed to meet, that you needed to meet somebody who was spiritual. And I said to you, well, what do you do for a living? And you said, well, I, I help law enforcement with missing person cases. And I went, I've been 30 years trying to find this person. And so I said to you, how'd you like to help me with the most famous missing person case of all time? And you said, I'm in. And we spent three hours in the book, Hacking the Afterlife, those interviews. So Amelia, how are you? I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions that we didn't ever ask you because I was so startled that you could come through so clearly and my bona fides in this area, I have spent 30 years researching what happened to her. I've been to Saipan, I've interviewed soldiers, I've interviewed eyewitnesses. I know, I feel like I know what happened to her. And I've been doing this for a long time and trying to get a project going, etc. And Amelia's been very generous with her time. She's talked about her life. We can get into that a little bit, but the first question I want to ask you is who was there to greet you when you crossed over? Oh, she's just laughing. <laughs> How did um, she look to you or, or what, where is she presenting herself? She always presents herself like wearing those writing pants, you know, she, and like the writing pants, the, well, the pants that she'd wear that she's been photographed in. So yeah. And then just how clean she is, how, how she, you know, the way she looks, like her skin is just so beautiful. And she's just, um, she immediately commented on a book that I was reading. She's like, I love that book, which was funny, which was interesting. It is interesting. It shows that she's paying attention and listening. Yeah. And I can, I totally understand why she would listen to that book or be paying attention to it. So, um, okay, hold on. She's holding up a cat. <laughs> well, you know, I do remember her saying that she punched Fred. Because <laughs> he had gone first. Right. And then when she got over there, it was like, God damn it. Yeah. Well, she showed me the state of mind that she was in because I think she was sick. And so I feel like she was, you know, delusional a little bit. Yeah. Um, How long did that illness last, by the way? I don't think I asked her that question. Said to say the least. Um, felt like it was almost like it built upon itself over three years. Uh, for the members of the audience who just tuning in and don't have a clue is what we're talking about, in a nutshell, and correct anything I'm saying, Amelia, if you need to, but in her last flight around the world, part of her task was to gather information on a casual level. Just real fast, what's funny is I still ask her, are you sure you didn't die in the water? She goes, no, you keep asking. <laughs> no, I died from being <laughs> Well, what happened was um, when, she got to, when she got near Howland Island, which is where she was trying to go, people were trying to reach her through Morse code. And she either deliberately or because she couldn't find it and was off course, took a left and went straight to plan B, which was to land in the Gilberts, which is a kind of safe haven. 
But instead, because she was off course, she landed in Millie Atoll, which is in the Marshall Islands, and she was picked by the Jap picked up by the Japanese, taken to a place called Jalowit. We've talked to I've talked to people on this side of the planet who saw her plane there. Um, right. and, and then she was taken to Saipan where she was incarcerated along with Fred. To put it succinctly, Fred was tortured and executed for being a spy because they assumed he must be the one in charge of this mission. And she was allowed to live out her days in a prison cell in Garapan. I've been to the prison cell. I've interviewed people who saw her there, et cetera, et cetera. And as we've learned, um, she died of dysentery. And sometime after that, U.S. soldiers arrived on the island in July of 1944, found her passport, her briefcase in a safe. We've interviewed those guys, and maybe they want to come forward because all three are not off the planet. Robert Wallach, Tom Devine, and Julius Neighbors. Those three guys I've interviewed, all soldiers who were there. They found her plane. Um, they reported they found her plane, and then it was flown as a test, you know, to see if it flew. And then the decision came down from Washington, and we've spoken to FDR, and he claimed that it wasn't really his decision. It was the military's decision, but they decided she was expendable and to destroy her plane. So they destroyed her plane and buried it at the end of the runway in Saipan. So, however, she was buried and without revealing where she is still. Um, that's something that we're gonna share for a while, keep for a while, but she, her body was moved. So she was buried, her body was moved, GIs, two GIs dug up her body. And this is what's so amazing when Jennifer and I first met, it was Amelia who said, those two GIs who dug me up, they only found an arm. And then it was about three or four months later, I found a report where these guys reported that. I, it wasn't- I called you on the way after you left my office. Oh yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> As I was leaving your office, no, but I'm just saying the evidence, the evidence. I found about six months later. But as I was leaving your office, a guy called me on the phone, NTSB investigator who said, Rich, I've been looking at this government, secret government files through a researcher. He said, everything you told me about Amelia is accurate, except when they found her body, they, when they dug up her body, they only found an arm. I'd never heard that other than from Amelia 10 minutes earlier, exactly where you're sitting. So that's, that's what we know. But in terms of Amelia's journey, let's just ask her some questions because we can. Okay. And when you were talking, I always try not to interrupt, and I'm sorry about that. But when they give me thoughts, oh, no, no, please. Talking, oh, no, no, absolutely. It's not interrupting, it's well, correcting. Well, That's what it is. FDR lied to his wife because his wife was so upset over it. Oh, so he was aware. And he lied to his wife. Okay, because that's a. That's a chapter in Backstage Pass where he basically tries to push the blame away from himself. Right. And we wouldn't let him squirm out of it, to put it mildly. But no, the idea being she was expendable. That was the bottom line. So, and she doesn't seem to care a wit about it or a fig's ear about it. Um, but one of the things that we spoke about, Amelia, which was your sexuality, let's put it that way. 
that you had an open marriage with your husband and you had um, people in your life. And at the time, I was aware of that and I confirmed that through you because I asked you. Loved love. You loved love. Yeah, don't we all? But let me ask you, when did that, when was your first uh, experience in a, in a love? I mean, it could have been a guy or girl. Who was it? Or when was it? When you were a child or a teenager? 13, the age 13. Okay. Well, she loved a horse. There was something about a horse that she loved. Okay, your first love relationship. That's very specific. Um, and then... Huh. It wasn't until she was like 21 where she really found love. Okay. We, uh, you know, I, I'm glossing over this. It's mentioned in one of the interviews that she said that her father had abused her. He was an alcoholic. And um, that's not a reason why somebody chooses the sexuality they are. Let's put it that way. But when you found love, the person that you fell in love with, yes. describe that person a little bit to us at the age of 21. She said it was more, it was a friend, but she trusted this friend. Mm -hmm. And she felt like out of everything else, that trust was something that she never had before, to trust in someone. And was it an older? person or the same age or younger or what? Just, they were roughly the same age. I got 22. Mm -hmm. Was this in Boston or? Person. I don't know, hold on. New York? No, Boston. Maybe, maybe LA. But it was a friend, it was just a friend. It felt like a male friend, but she thought that was what love was. Ah, okay. Interesting. I think I know who this guy is. Yeah. Because they were photographed together when she they were young. That's what was. So, he was a really handsome, dark-haired dude. Is that him? It's like platonic, but it was a love that she's never had before. With the I see. Yeah. I, was he also a pilot? And then when she was 33, just let me go with this. Hold on. Then when go she ahead. said, I know, Jesus' age, what? <laughs> she's not making fun of me. She's like, I, was, I died and was reborn again at age 33. And I'm not making, please, I'm not making, I love I see these. what you're saying. In other words, she had an experience in love that made her feel resurrected. Correct. Thank Absolutely. you. Well, that's the language of epiphany. Absolutely. But it was just funny the way she said it, because she's always- Beautiful. Um, poet. Yes. Oh, she wants me to explain it. Okay. From this book that I've been reading, okay, and it's real fast about, um, this woman marries another woman, but she was married to a man before. Uh -huh. And she was doing, you know, she was, she was at this, you know, place with thousand people talking and she was taking questions and this lady in the back raised her hand. And she, she asked her, the lady goes, you know, I'm just really confused. I'm really confused about, you were married to a, a male and now you're married to a female and, well, she first said, she goes, my, you know, my niece is now a nephew, not sure, like, you know, she went into this whole little thing. And that took a lot of courage because there was a lot of people out there that 
we're probably thinking the same thing. She goes, and the woman goes, she goes, well, the other woman said, I just want to know why everybody's turning out to be gay. Why, <laughs> why is everybody turning out to be gay? And, and <laughs> the author said, she goes, too much GMOs. <laughs> too much GMOs? Genetically modified Dude, grain? Or everyone started laughing hysterically, which was actually it was super funny. GMOs. But her point was, um, her point, and her name's Glennon Doyle, by the way. And her, so her point was, you know what? I think a lot of people are not holding on to the memo that, you know, they were all supposed to fit in either a glass where you're gay, but you're going to be excommunicated from your church. You're, you know, you won't be able to get married. You know, you won't be able to have kids or you have to fit in this glass. You know, there's only two glasses to fit into and everyone chose the other glass. She goes, now we don't have that. We have more glasses to be a part of. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I was just talking about this on Quora. Somebody had written, uh, they were talking about sex gender choices. And, you know, if they change their sex in this lifetime, in the next lifetime, would they show up as that person? And my response was just based on the data and the research, which is in Dr. Wamba's research, 2,000 cases. Michael Newton's th thousands and thousands of cases, people report under hypnosis, remembering male, female lifetimes, different choices. And the percentage is like about 50%, roughly. The point being, a gay person, which is what we're talking about, Amelia, being here and suddenly falling in love and meeting a woman and, and feeling an epiphany. People do choose their lifetimes because back home, we're genderless, so to speak. We are. We may, we may choose this and that. But once we get here, let's say we choose that I'm going to be in love in this fashion. That's so releasing and ennobling to understand that there's none of this over there. There's no hierarchy. None of it. None of it. We've been told that over and over again. But it's also why I was recommending if somebody's thinking of being of doing that gender change let's just call it that mm -hmm. to do to find a hypnotherapist prior so that they can explore and understand why they chose this lifetime so for example a uh, um, somebody who reincarnated a lot of times as a man suddenly incarnates as a woman they forget that they thought oh this will be a great idea i'm going to try this experience and they get here and they're like what what's going on you see so why not explore that? Because if you find out, oh my gosh, I was a woman in you know so many other lifetimes, that's why I feel so disconnected with my maleness or et cetera, et cetera. So let's ask Amelia, were you a man in previous lifetimes or? Always. Always. And this kind of adventurous person or? Hold on one second. <laughs> she just showed me Eve. That's really funny. <laughs> oh, you go back that far. All right. It could be you. I think she just was a strong female throughout all of them. Okay. Very good. It doesn't, you know, there's no connection to it other than 
talking about the journey, which is Amelia, you chose this lifetime roughly. Were you aware of all the pits and turns and roller coasters before you came here? Or, or were you just surprised? Yes. So you were aware of them? She wanted, she wanted to be a female in a male-dominated environment. And she broke all the barriers. I mean, she basically created an equal rights amendment. I mean, that is the person responsible for it. We still haven't passed. It actually makes me teary-eyed to even think about that, what she had to go through. You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's worth repeating. This is somebody who fought against the ceiling. She used to say, a pilot has no gender. I'm a pilot. You can't call me a female pilot. I'm a pilot. I didn't even know that. So you know? now she goes through this incredible ordeal, which is to be captured in the middle of wartime prior to the war. In and she then has to be treated again. And you know, the idea that the Japanese would consider her less than, <laughs> that Fred must be the guilty spy party because he's the male. She, right. And Fred, and for, in our interview with him, he said that he copped to being the spy to protect Amelia. And that's why they tortured and killed him. That's what he said. He chose that too. And she he chose said, that too. But of course, Fred, is like, on the foot. Go ahead. Like a good boy. She patted him on the head. <laughs> <laughs> but Fred's over there as well. Let's just allow that. Fred's there. Amelia's there. Everybody's okay. That's such a love. Yeah. There's no, again, there's no death. She just thinks it's funny that I keep asking her how she died. <laughs> yeah. Or where are you? And people. Right. No. Yeah, people ask me that all the time. Well, it's Why don't funny. you go find her? It's funny for me because. She's like, how many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> yeah. Like, be sure of yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, the idea that you would think that she crashed in the water, mm -hmm. you know, just shows that you don't read these books at all. <laughs> That's I know. I don't think <laughs> But that. Amelia, not like she's let's talk about why it's important for people to hear your story. And I've been trying to tell your story for a while now, but remind people why it's important. If you if you would please to free themselves, she says you'd think that what I did would have would have helped and and I know okay this is her dying I know that it did for a few but then it got taken over again by the church like by the powers that be. I'm sorry. By the powers that be, by the male-dominated. Right. Institutions. It's also very interesting because they didn't they didn't care about Roe versus Wade even, you know, the evangelicals. They instituted that as something to focus on to keep people in fear to go back to church. You know, well without without going down that path, let's just say that when she refers to the church, she's not saying Christianity and she's not saying no, uh, she, some she, religion, but she's just saying the dogma. Right, she's seen how things work. People that are free are still not free. They're carrying, so even if you are gay, which I think everybody's just, they need to get rid of the terminology. Everybody just needs to love who they want to love. And I just wish we'd get rid of the terminology. There you go. I see what you're saying. Oh, right. you're relating it to the sexuality thing. I'm, yeah. I didn't catch that. that I agree. Absolutely. And Amelia? Get rid so, of the terminology. That's another reason to tell this story, which is to show 
that, um, it, it, you know, what pops into my mind is Money Heist, which is running on Netflix right now. And my kids are like huge fans. And they deal with sexuality in a, like an open book. You know, everybody loves everybody. I mean, it's so Spanish, this series. Everybody wants to kill each other and then love each other. They're, if they're not choking someone, they're kissing them. <laughs> but along those lines, telling the story of Amelia, about her loves, about the truth, rips off the Band-Aid. We heard this from, of all people, Mary Todd Lincoln. I mentioned, we mentioned it in Backstage Pass 3, where she comes forward and she says, because I had said something you know, we were talking about somebody's death, like a, a death of, you know, celebrity who had died under mysterious circumstances, not celebrity, a politician who had died under mysterious circumstances, I think. And I had said something along the lines of, why do we care about that? Because that's old history. That happened back in the 60s. Why should we focus on that? Because, you know, once you get back to the flip side, you're okay. And I let it go. We, you let it go. We moved on. A week later, you said, Mary Todd Lincoln is here. And I said, like, why? And we had mentioned her once, sort of in passing, but you said she wants to say something to you. And then she showed you a book of history, like a history book. And then eventually we got to it and she was saying, history for us happened moments ago because we're outside of time. So the truth, telling the truth about what happened to us is important to us because it releases us as well. And that's exactly what she said. Okay, so it is, it's no different than the women that were the suffragettes for voting. You know, it took so long for women to vote. It took so long for us to get to the place where we're at, where we're trying not to be race, not trying, where, we're, where all of us still have something that has been embedded in us that keeps us from doing what we really are supposed to be doing. So that's another good reason to do this story, to tell Amelia's story. Absolutely. Very good. Well, and any help you can give me, Amelia. She just said something. Hold on. What? Sorry? Oh, I'll shut up. This summer, you're going to have proof of it. There's something with proof. Will I be involved or somebody over there find her? Oh, you'll be involved with. Like. Thanks, Amelia. <laughs> I hope so. There's something with letters. There's something you're going to find that will show even more. Okay. You. Keep researching. I will. I will. I, you know, I'm, now I have some time. Now that I've finished our two big books and the uh, Audible. Do you know that I wait at my door for the books? Like, I'm so... <laughs> okay. We, she's, uh, so she has six, no, ten copies of uh, mm -hmm. Backstage Pass to the Flip Side. And Amelia has a chapter in here as well. I love that cover. She does. I love that cover so much. I and mean, you surprised me last time. It is, it is sweet. Let me just see. I'm not going to look for it. But, uh, you know, Amelia, we, we want your story to be told. And I think it's a time to tell it. And I realized recently that I've always thought of it in a linear fashion, which is, you know, and then this happened, and then that happened, and this guy betrayed that person, and da 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 But... The more I'm watching Netflix, the more I realize I don't have to be tied to that timeline. I don't have to prove anything to anybody. I just want to tell your story. And you'll help guide us, whatever, however that's going to happen. Knock on wood. Ow. 
Okay. Uh, anything else, Amelia, that you want to pass along to your fans and friends? What a treat, by the way. This is such a treat for me to talk to. Talk, like I'm, I'm honored to talk to her and know, like, to get the feelings that she had and about how difficult it is to have been her. Let me ask you, because you did pop into my head and like the middle of the night last night, and I was asking you questions in my semi-sleep. Was there anything I'm missing here? What else did you want to talk about? Just this. Just this. Okay, very good. The, the, and the interesting part is that this whole morning I was listening to, you know, what her, basically a, just a different version of her story. Oh, the audio book, the book. Yeah. And, you know, think about that for a second. You're the most famous person on the planet. At 33, she'd already done some of her great successes. Mm -hmm. And she's, I think she might have been married. Were you married at that point? Or maybe not? Lonely. Lonely, but you were, you were working with George Putnam. They weren't married yet. He was still married to somebody else. Now, the reason I knew that Amelia might be bisexual at the time was because I interviewed a an author Elgin Long who told me that he was interviewing George Putnam's wife George Putnam the famous publisher who who financed her trips and stuff and he was married when he first met Amelia and the wife told this famous author Elgin Long that one day she walked in on George her husband and Amelia in bed together with another woman. And at the time, I said to Elgin, why didn't you report that? Or why didn't you talk about that? And he said, well, I, I thought she was just an upset wife, that you know she was angry at her husband. And when I thought about it, wait a second, you know, guys would think, as Elgin did, oh, a guy with two girls. <laughs> I realized, no, it was Amelia with her girlfriend, and he was participating. Let's just put it that way. And so that's an open marriage. That's the, the essence of an open marriage. And the fact that this was confirmed by somebody, and then we started, and with, before I even met Jennifer, I had a couple of mediums that I just ran into willy-nilly, and, and one of them told me that she was in love with a woman who was a painter, da-da-da-da, and then you know the story. So, yeah. ultimately, I just was pointing out that here Amelia found somebody who could give her this unusual life, George Putnam, and participate on the side a little bit while she got to experience a passion in a way that she had never had. Is that correct, Amelia? Am I getting that right? Absolutely. And anything you want to add or talk about that? She said she loved everybody equally, but she was in love with that girl, that woman. Very good. And we talked about her in terms of, you know, meeting her on the flip side and da 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 da, da. Life, love, passion, Amelia Earhart. Very good. Yeah. All right, Lou, I did have one other person to talk about or with, and I don't know if we should, but tell me. Does, does anybody else want to come in, or does this fella that I thought of, want to come in is he again i just got is he um all right hold this on. is not somebody you would know 
I know it's not somebody I know. They're just showing me the woman. Who's the woman? The woman that um, was the blues, the bigger woman. Oh, she Rita? Was, no, no, no. She did say hi, though. No, <laughs> that was funny. Um, she well, whenever we talk to Prince, she's always. I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, same not frequency. Who's the lead singer of Mamas and Papas? The woman. Well, Mama Cass. Mama Cass. Does Mama Cass want to talk to us? Is it connected to her at all? Like, is the guy. Oh, this guy? No, no, no. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This was a really obscure. You know I like to bring obscure people in here. Okay, so give me the first name. The first name, I just don't even know. His name is Jay Allen. I don't know what the J stood for. He was a professor. I mean, you would not know this guy. But he was a professor. He had a goatee. And he smoked a pipe. His, okay. his name was Jay Allen. Now, my question to Lou is, should we talk to this guy? Yeah. Is it about yeah. the... Because right. this is an unusual diversion. Are you wanting to talk to him about what's going on now? No, I want to, yeah. Let's just. Virus, right? Huh? Is it about the virus? No, he's not a doctor. Uh, he's a professor. It's not about, the, it is about the virus, but in a really tangential way. Okay. Which is, you know, we should be talking about the virus, but I'm sorry. The guy popped into my conscious today. So back in 1969, maybe eight. When I was 13 years old, my, the nun in my class, the sister, uh -huh. decided I should do a science project. And she sort of helped me formulate this idea about how color influences people because yeah. color is a vibration and a frequency. Da, 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 da. And she connected me with this professor who was teaching at Northwestern, who was a friend of hers. And he came over to my house, my parents, you know, I think the nun was there, maybe she wasn't, but it was just me in this kind of unusual, and he had a thick accent, he was Czechoslovakian, he had a goatee, kind of severe, and he, you know, he had a pipe, uh, who smokes a pipe, but he was there smoking one of those very pungent cherry, and I remember it, he popped into my head today because somebody invited me to come speak on a UFO network. Of course. And I, <laughs> I remembered this guy's name was J. Allen Hynek, the guy who wrote Project Blue Book back in the 1950s and 60s. So he was an expert. He was a military expert who didn't believe in UFOs, but eventually came around to realize that the government was lying about all this. He was silenced, wasn't he? He was silent? Silence. Oh, silence. Well, ostensibly, but the book did come out and, you know, they, he wasn't like a believer kind of a guy. He was a scientist who just said, let's look at the data. If people are saying, you know, I'm talking to military pilots who are seeing UFOs flying around, they must exist. And of course, now they've allowed that information out. It took how many years, you know, 50 years to come out. My question to him is, Alan, do you remember, do you recall this meeting me? And what was that like for you? He's laughing. He said you came in disheveled or you're, did you meet him in person? Yeah, I was, yeah, in the living room of my parents' house. Like he showed me. Probably, <laughs> you know, um, you look like I am who I am. 
It looks like you I were- I was a kid, I was 14. You know, oh. it was ridiculous. That's so funny though, hold on. He said you would not stop with the questions. You had non-stop questions, but you asked a very, very important question. And it was about how do I know? Like, how do I know? Um, and you didn't know at the time everything that he was dealing with, right? No, I didn't know anything about UFOs. He was ostensibly showing me scientific methodology. In other words, get your data, ask your questions, make right. a survey. It made an impact on you, but you also just said, just tell me, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I, I don't remember. You know, um, but go ahead. He was amused to say the least. You were brave in the questions you asked, which does not surprise me whatsoever. Yeah. Well, so now my question to you, sir, your son works in Hollywood. He's a friend of a friend of mine. Um, I sent him an email today. I was going to mention we were going to talk to your dad today, if we could. My question to you, sir, is once you crossed over, who was there to greet you when you crossed over? And I think you passed away in, well, maybe you want to tell Jennifer. Doesn't matter. Right. Hold on. Time. Outside of time. Was it 1998? Uh, about 10 years earlier. Yeah. Okay. 88. So, uh, my question. It's all right. It's all right. My, we're outside of time. I've never talked to this guy before since I did back in 1960. I want to say seven, eight, whatever. My question, sir. Once, who was there to greet you when you crossed over? I feel his father. His father. Which leads yeah. me to the next question. At what point did you become aware of other entities or people who normally incarnate on other planets? Because, well, right away, like I said, that was his life purpose. So right away, he had a commune with people that were not from here. And if you could, Professor, describe what they look like to you over there. Were they light or were they, were, did they have physical characteristics or what did they look like? They were not Martian looking. <laughs> Whatever that is. Three fingers, big eyes. You know, the big eyes, yeah. Yeah. Um, they were very tall in stature, like with their lights. Okay. And the big eyes or little eyes? Different colors. So it wasn't, it looks like energy. It's like energy that has all the different um, characteristics. Yeah. It was interesting because I got shown a bunch of, bunch of pictures. Well, give us a few. He showed me what they look like to humans and what they look like now. Okay, which would be what? At that time. Um, time with big eyes, gray skin, tall, skinny. It's okay. We've talked to a few of them. Yeah. And, and so let me ask you, when did you become aware that these so-called... Oh, the reason why they were gray is because it was more like a hazmat outfit for them. Because oh, so like they're wearing that so they can interact with humans? Yeah, because of our pollution. 
Okay. Well, that sounds whatever at the time. At that time, is that what awareness was? Yeah, their awareness is they didn't want to catch anything from us. <laughs> I see. And, and but in essence, are we talking about beings that are in our same time frame, or are they kind of slightly in a different time frame, or frequency, or realm? Way different frequency and realm. Way different frequency. So in essence when somebody has an encounter when somebody's brought aboard a spacecraft and they're not aware they don't know you know they're frozen in time are are they dealing with their etheric body the conscious self or are they dealing with the physical body because people recall they want, they want nothing to do with their physical body no, no okay so they're really relating to the etheric body right so an example would be a ufo flies or by over my head Right, but they feel raw. Like I'm sure that pe like they're not because they're not aware of what's going on. They don't yeah. know what. Well, this is what I found in the research. Is the worst. Say again. Um. Shoot, I have to get going, sweetheart. Okay. Well, we got to wrap this up. So um, what I'm saying is that when you get aboard a spacecraft, let's say you meet these people, uh, but you're in an etheric consciousness. You're not physically up there. Okay. My question to you is, did you have lifetimes on other planets before you came to Earth, Professor? Absolutely. He was trying to bring their story in. Yes. Okay. So you were kind of... Like, he showed me like a little kid. So it's kind of like letting our planet know that sooner or later we're going to have to deal with this. Okay. And deal with it... Wait one second. that they're there walking among us in different ways, whether it's with their consciousness or... Well, in terms of the research, we found that people, because we bring a third of our conscious energy to a lifetime, people have had lifetimes on other planets. They've chosen to be here. One out of three clients that sees a Newton Institute hypnotherapist recalls off-world lifetimes. So one out of three... Could be mine. Yeah, could be you, could be me. One out of three of our friends probably has had a lifetime on another planet. That's what the point is. The point is we should drop the word alien. I know. We should drop the word alien. We should drop the genders. We should drop a lot of things. We should drop everything. Just let go. Right. Let it go. Right. You want to sing a little before we could sing our audience out? Let it go. Let it go. Okay. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for allowing us to chat with people on the flip side. Lou, we appreciate you showing up and helping us out. That's very cool. Amelia, Fred. we love you. And Fred. And Fred, we love Fred. You know, yeah. your husband's name. I had a treat with Amelia. I had no idea I'd be talking to her. That was an amazing treat. I know. Uh, you guessed it, not me. All right, I we love you. End of pod. Number five, we'll see you at number six. Bye, Rich.